Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If everyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord Father, we just come before you, Lord. We give you all glory. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you show us day by day, moment by moment, Father. We thank you that you walk with us, you teach us, you reprimand us, Father, but above all, you love us, Father. Lord, we pray that as Phil delivers your message today, that you anoint his teaching, Father, that you open hearts and minds, that we might incorporate what you have for us today, Father, that we might leave here drawing closer to you, walking closer to you, moment by moment. So, Lord, we just pray these things to your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. This one and just keep reading until the time is up. (laughs) That way I wouldn't have to do this. I don't know if you know, but the, the most fearful thing when they took a poll. The the scariest thing is not dying. The scariest thing, the number one thing, what? Did I leave something undone here? This is bright. Praise God for wives. At least my fly wasn't down. (laughs) Or is it? Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, yeah. The most scary, the scariest thing is not dying. Uh, believe it or not, when they they took a poll, it's getting in front of somebody and speaking. And that's a fact. And if you don't think it is, come on up sometime. <laughs> and you know, Jackie makes it look so easy. He does it two or three times a week, and he's anointed and good, gifted at it. Uh, and a classroom is one thing with 30 junior high kids, but 
An auditorium with a bunch of big people is a whole different ballgame. <clears throat> but anyways, we're going to give it a go here this morning. And uh, Oh, by the way, uh, Levi forgot a very important announcement. Saturday, if you notice in your bulletin, the men's breakfast will be this Saturday instead of canceling it because it's after Thanksgiving and people will be out of town. Instead of not doing it, we're going to have it uh, the 23rd, this coming Saturday, 9 o'clock. Come on back here and, and uh, uh, join us with some fellowship and get your stomachs expanded a little bit before the big day thir- Thanksgiving and, and uh, join us for some good fellowship and not sure yet what we're going to be talking about. We probably have some testimonies. Been working on this message, and I can't multitask, so uh, we'll have something good to talk about and share with our brothers. Biscuits and gravy, by the way, is back on the menu this week. So, Robin, keep your hands off it after the leftovers. Okay. He threw it away last time, actually. Okay, uh, i got to start with a question. That's sort of my M.O. Uh, so I want to start with a question. Uh, how is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How is, on a scale of 1 to 10, okay, back to the 1 to 10 deal. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rank your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, you don't have to obviously tell me or throw out a number, uh, although I've asked this to a number of my friends. Uh, because that's, a, that's sort of a big deal. It's all about relationship, right? We say it every Sunday just about. It's all about personal relationship. It's not about religion. And the passage that Phil read for us this morning in John is all about relationship. Uh, the the uh, vine and the branch um, is all about relationship. And that's what he's talking about in these verses. And if you'll notice in, in this uh, portion of scripture, the word remain or abide in some translations, the one we read this morning in the ESV, or dwell or live in me occurs 17, uh, seven times in those scriptures. And that, that word means, in the Greek, to stay in a given place. And, of course, that place that we want to stay in is where? Yeah, in his presence. We want to stay in Christ. Uh, the word, the second part, uh, and there's so many different things we could talk about in these portions of scripture because it's just rich with, with really good stuff but the second thing I want to concentrate on, the, on these verses is the word fruit. It's mentioned eight times in these verses. And in the Greek, fruit means fruit. <laughs> sort of easy. And fruit is exactly what you think it is. It's something good. It's sweet. It's something that people can see and, and enjoy, other people. And, of course, we know all about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and what that looks like. And we could surely talk about that. We'll mention some of those things. But uh, this morning, what I'd like to do is to sort of hone in on, you know, what is this personal relationship look like? And how can we bear 
more fruit. Uh, you know, if we're his disciples, which we all uh, are, uh, that's what we're supposed, we're supposed to bear fruit. We're supposed to first uh, connect with him, that personal relationship with him. But then the, the outpouring of that, or the result of that, is the fruit in our lives. And that gives us the, the uh, privilege, he gives us the privilege to go out into the world and make disciples. And they, they'll know that we are his by our fruit. And so fruit's a very important thing. And if the church needs anything, if the world needs anything now, it's, it's more fruit. Uh, relationship uh, is an interesting thing. Uh, there's all kinds of relationships that we deal with, uh, husband and wife and parents and children, employers, employees. But God defined relationship when he sent his son. He, that's the perfect relationship uh, that we have to look to when we are trying to make one better. Relationship, by definition, is the way two or more people are connected and behave towards one another. So when I ask you the question, how's your relationship with Christ, and you scored it 1 to 10, um, you can tell me later how your score was, but it's interesting, the numbers that I got from the friends that I asked, it wasn't very high. There weren't very many above five, actually, surprisingly. Uh, and it's probably because we're pretty hard on ourselves, and we know what our thoughts are, which lots of times aren't that good, even though the fruit on the outside might look okay. What's inside is the thing that lots of times slows us down and makes us feel like we're a two or a three instead of what God says we are. In John fifteen eleven, it says, I've told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. Notice God's purpose here, that your joy, that our joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. What God wants in us, first and foremost, is a personal relationship. And then secondarily, he wants that relationship to be poured out and shared with everybody we come in contact with. That's our, that's our job description. That's what he wants. In Genesis chapter 1, going back to the book of beginnings, it tells, God tells us about relationship. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He created us and gave us the example of relationship uh, in the very beginning. And then he told us to go out and be fruitful. Problem. God is a spirit. Now, I have a relationship with my wife and I have a relationship with friends. And we understand how that works. But how do we improve and grow in our relationship with a spirit? It's a little more difficult, isn't it? Uh, 
God is a spirit. Even though he sent his son in the flesh to, to give that example. But as we sit here this morning, we are trying to build a relationship with something invisible. And that can be challenging. Um, in fact, it is challenging. It is for all of us to, to build on that. Because we can't, I can't call God up on my phone and say, Hey, Lord, I, I really really have this issue. I can talk to him, but I can't physically touch him. I can't literally hear his voice. And so we have to rely on other means to do that. We have to rely on his word for sure. He gives us all kinds of, I'm not sure what you call them, literary devices. I'm not an English person. Uh, you know, metaphors and parables and analogies and similes and all kinds of things in Scripture that help us understand how this spirit-to-flesh relationship is supposed to work. And there's all kinds of ones in Scripture. One example in Psalm 1, uh, verse 3, is he, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So we have this comparison between streams of water and what the water does uh, to the tree and how the fruit is born. That helps us understand the connection here. That's called a, uh, it's a figure of speech called a simile. And, and so it compares things. And we have all kinds of others. Uh, the parable of the seed and the sower and the weeds and and there's the scriptures are full of them so that we can understand him and know him better and grow closer to him through these comparisons. Uh, not being an English person, but a science guy, taught life science for over 30 years. And uh, I relate to God most personally uh, through science. And I found him as I studied and taught uh, Students, life science, I saw him. I got to know him in a personal way by studying, looking at things through a microscope. Uh, some phenomenal discoveries can be made about God when you pick out a microscope. Uh, you would appreciate this, Don, my duck hunting buddy. Uh, one of the activities I did with my kids is I would, under a microscope, I would take a duck feather and I would have them look under uh, and then magnify the power with a microscope. And every time you magnify a feather under a scope, it gets more detailed and more and more and more design is shown. It's pretty cool. And that that's shows me more about God. He's endless. Uh, he has created things uh, in such a way that just you have to stand in awe of his hand. Uh, so Romans one twenty verifies this. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. When we look around, you know, I love to hunt. I love to be out. And when I'm out there, I'm always seeing his handiwork and looking at him and marveling at his, his glory, his, uh, just the things that he has done, has made for our pleasure, 
for us to enjoy. Uh, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. When you look through a telescope, the same thing. It's endless. You, they keep discovering more and more things as they get more and more powerful telescopes. So both extremes, from small to large, he is, he's infinite. He is a big, big God. So I want to give you a little lesson this morning, a little science lesson. And uh, Savannah, pull that picture up of the plant, green plant. There we go. Okay, this is a green plant. And one of the things we taught seventh grade life science was photosynthesis. Remember that? Photosynthesis. It's an incredible process that happens with green plants. And what happens uh, is, if you can see that, I was going to put the formula up there and really intimidate you with a bunch of C6O2 plus H6H2O yields C6H12O6. But I'm not going to do that. So we got the easy, we got the, the, uh, the easy picture here. So what happens, and this fits perfectly with John 15, the vine and the branches, is what happens when... Carbon dioxide, that's the stuff we exhale, combines with water, stuff we drink. What it yields in in the presence of sunlight and some little green pigments called chloroplasts on the leaves with chlorophyll in them. When the sunlight hits those chloroplasts, it produces sugar, glucose, and oxygen. That's a process called photosynthesis, which really, it's, that's life. That totally, to me, represents how God helps us to grow in him. The carbon dioxide is a waste product. You've heard a lot about CO2. You know, we're gonna, we're, the planet's going to be dead in 12 years, and we're going to have to bail out or, or else. You know, we've got to stop. Flying planes and doing all these things that we're told or or else. Well, the carbon dioxide is the waste product that they're so concerned about with the ozone layer and it's going to break it down. Well, uh, God's got this plan covered. This uh, carbon dioxide, when when it's combined with uh, water, it produces these things. And one of the things it, uh, it produces is fruit, glucose. Glucose is a sugar, which is fruit, and that's what he wants to produce in us. And so all we have to do, according to photosynthesis, is we have to stay in the light, walk in the light as he's in the light, and we'll have fellowship one with another. And he does it in us. That's the miracle part, and we're going to talk more about that later. This process of photosynthesis shows us he takes our our bad breath, so to speak, the CO2, combines it with the water of the Holy Spirit, and in his presence, his light, he changes it, and we bear fruit, glucose, and then we give off oxygen, that life-giving substance to everything else. This is uh, God's green deal. God's green deal uh, is much cheaper. You don't have to get stop eating hamburgers or driving cars. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a lot better deal because um, all we have to do to make more of this is plant a tree. We don't have to get rid of anything. Plant a tree, sunlight hits the green leaves, 
photosynthesis occurs, we've got, we get rid of the carbon dioxide, which is a waste product, and we produce more oxygen and fruit, sugar. That's God's green deal. So I heard this on the news on a week or two ago. Somebody proposed this, a meteorologist. Uh, don't worry about OCD's green deal. Uh, all we got to do is go out and plant a whole bunch of trees. That will take care of our, our issue. So anyways, that's pretty cool. So how does this relationship uh, that we are trying to improve work? Again, between flesh and blood and spirit. Well, we have another practical example in the same picture. The picture of uh, there's structures inside every green plant. They're called vascular bundles, and they're called phloem and xylem cells. Every green branch has one. And if you'll notice, uh, there's arrows going up and there's arrows going down. Every green plant has these phloem and xylem cells. And it really, to me, defines how relationship with God works. Because if you'll notice, the xylem cells, that comes from the root. And we all know that the fruit comes from root. Uh, The xylem cells transport food and minerals up the stalk. And then the, the glucose is made through the process of photosynthesis. And then sugar is, and other minerals are transported to the rest of the plant and down. This cool symbiotic relationship that God created shows us how our relationship with him can be grown as well. It's, without him, we can do nothing. It's all, you know, he, he is the one who initiates. But notice here, relationship requires a partnership. Without the, the food being produced, the sugar being produced and sent to the other parts of the plant, it would die as well. So relationship, or the word communion, the, by the way, relationship is not in the Bible, the word relationship. Uh, instead, we see the word fellowship used, which is koinonia, uh, which means communion uh, or participation or partnership. So relationship with Christ requires, as you know, uh, participation. You can't just sit there and expect it all to happen. You have to participate in the process. So what is God's part? What's the xylem part in this relationship? Well, he has told us in his word uh, what he has done for us. And you are very familiar with these scriptures, uh, but I'm going to go through some just to remind us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting eternal life. He loved first. That's what started the whole process of relationship. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He forgave us, and he keeps on forgiving us every day. That part of relationship, if he was not a loving, forgiving God, there wouldn't be one. And rightfully, there shouldn't be, because all of us sin and fall short every day. But he's built into this system forgiveness. 
Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's Jehovah Jireh. He provides for us every day, whatever our need is. He gives generously. He loves to give good things to his children. That's his job. John 15.15 that we read earlier, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. He even calls us friends. What a what a uh, an intimate word! It's a, he has attached his affection. That word philos is means an attachment of affection. It's more than just a, a black and white Bible, uh, but it's a personal uh, relationship. It's a feeling. It, we can sense it. You have emotions. All these were his, were his idea. He wants us to know him in a personal, intimate way. And he provide, has provided that for us. John fifteen sixteen says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He chose us in the, since the very beginning. It says he knew us in our mother's womb. He has a plan and a purpose. But just to think that he chose us, that the God of the universe chose us. In 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has provided everything for us to have the relationship and to bear fruit. He has done it all. That's his role. And there's a whole, a whole lot more we could talk about. But then we have a part also. We have to participate in this relationship. And in Matthew 6.33, you're familiar with this verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We have to make the effort to seek him. We have, to, we have to move towards him. We have to make priority in our lives. We have to discipline, make choices. He's given us the ability to choose. And so we have to choose every day, every minute of every day just about, uh, whether we're going to choose him or choose something else. So it does take discipline on our part. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39, you're familiar with these scriptures. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So just as he first loved us, we have to go out and love others as well. Totally committed to love. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just as he did. He modeled it, and he asks us to do it every day. 
Uh, that's participation. Now, what does that look like? Uh, making your body a living sacrifice. Again, it comes back to those mental choices uh, with words or with actions. Um, we had a choice in one of the songs that we sang a minute ago. It says, uh, I stand with my hands lifted high. You had a choice. Did you lift your hands or did you not? Why did you not? Uh, we are commanded so many different things in Scripture to make our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to Him. That's our reasonable service. We have to choose to do that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's pretty hard. And I just flat out don't want to do it. I don't want to lift my hands. I don't want to bow, bend the knee, because my flesh says, I don't want to. Anybody else in that boat? And so that's an example of making our bodies a living sacrifice. Who's the loser if we don't do that? If we don't obey Scripture... Who's the loser? Yeah, so why don't we do it? Why don't I do it? Isn't that dumb? It's really stupid. But that's how strong our flesh is. Our flesh, we have a choice to control. We can do it or we cannot do it. And my, my point this morning is, I want to kill this flesh. I want to make it so that it doesn't rule me but my, the spirit in me rules the flesh. And it takes, it takes some energy and effort and some discipline to do that. But God promises us if we do that, we will bear much fruit. He said, try me. See if that's not true. And I want to challenge all of us this morning to do just that. Try him in his word because we know his word is true. And his promises are sure. So try them this morning. See if that won't bear fruit for you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders that ugly flesh and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We just finished Colossians here recently, and and the theme of that was total surrender. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Switch them from Flesh to spirit. Take control. Set your mind on things above. It's all about focus. I had a whole section I was going to talk about on distractions. um, Because so often we get distracted. We we start off with good intention. I don't care. I can go down to my, my hole in the basement where I study. And I, you know, nothing down there, just me and the spiders and whatever else is living down there. And uh, turn my little heater on. It's nice and comfortable, quiet. The kids are all gone now. And it's amazing. I amaze myself how I can get distracted so easily. I'll be preparing for a message like this. And all of a sudden I'll be thinking, 
you know what, I meant to put that modified choke in my new shotgun, and I forgot to do that. So I'll get up, and I, I put the new choke in my shotgun in the middle of my devotion time. And that's just one little example, but the same thing happens to you. Your mind will go here and there and everywhere, and off of what you are trying to accomplish, which is that private time with Jesus, drawing closer to him. And so what I thought of when I was doing this, I'm a baseball kind of junkie. I love baseball. Raised back east, uh, Red Sox fan, hated the Yankees. Levi, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but Yogi Bear, I was raised in Yogi Bear's era. If you know who Yogi, how many know who Yogi is? Oh, great. Super. Well, Yogi was a catcher for the New York Yankees. I don't know how many championships did they have. It's disgusting, like 10, 10 or 12 cha- world championships. He, I hated Yogi because he was so good, and he always beat the Red Sox. But uh, Yogi, he has these, they call it Yogiisms, has these sayings and all kinds of funny stuff. Uh, but in 1957 World Series, New York Yankees were playing the Atlanta Braves. And uh, Hank Aaron, anybody heard of Hank Aaron, leading home run hitter uh, until Barry Bonds came along and juiced and passed him up. But that, we don't count that. That was illegal. Uh, but Hank Aaron, incredible home run hitter. So Hank comes up, played for the Milwaukee Braves. Hank comes up in the, I don't know which game of the World Series in 1957. Hank comes up to the plate. And Yogi, being Yogi, trying to distract Hank. He always talked to the batters. He tried to engage them because he figured if he could engage them, they wouldn't concentrate, be able to, to hit the ball with the bat. One of the hardest things in sports, by the way, is for a round baseball to hit a round bat, especially coming downhill at 100 miles an hour. So crossing many different planes. So Yogi stands by, he's behind, crouched behind home plate, and he, and he tells Hank, he says, Hank, your bat isn't right. You're supposed to have that label facing you. Hank, you've got to straighten out your bat. You know, he starts talking to Hank. Well, Hank totally ignores him, calmly steps up to the plate, hits a home run, circles the bases. This is a true story. You can look it up. Circles the bases. And then when he gets to home plate, he, he looks at Yogi and says, Yogi? I didn't come here to read. <laughs> and that's a good example of distraction. Uh, you know, Yogi tried to distract, and you know what? We got an enemy of our soul who was trying to distract. Walked in this morning, and we didn't have any power. The power out in the foyer wasn't working. The emergency lights were on, so we had to call some people, and we finally figured it out. But uh, whether or not that was... The enemy, I don't know, but we know that he is out there trying to deceive and destroy and surely distract us from having that personal relationship and walking in the Spirit with Christ. Um, So how do we deal with distractions? How can we refocus? And there's a lot of different things you can do. I was going to... Bring my picture of Jesus and put him up here. That Bev Bray, remember Bev Bray? We have a picture out here in the hallway, by the way. She uh, is a painter with chalk, and she has her chalk 
deal up here. And while she's preaching, she paints uh, with, and I guess that's not painting, whatever, sketches with chalk. And she gives a message while she's drawing a picture of Christ, his face. It's really powerful. And so there's, a, there's one hanging out in the hall here. But, you know, when we say fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not a matter of just having a visual representation of Jesus, although that can be helpful, I suppose, having different icons to keep us focused. But um, we have to come up with strategies to get rid of those distractions. And, of course, the, the number one strategy is we have to learn how to refocus to get back on track again. And that's going to be a continual problem, I'm sure, until we die. But we have to learn how to refocus with Scripture because that's really one of the only things that we have to do. So whenever we get distracted with anger, for example, that was last week, Jackie talked about that. Uh, What can we do when we feel these things of anger uh, coming upon us because of a broken relationship maybe or some hurt? Well, we have to remember what God says by calling upon his word. And when we feel angry, then there's a scripture for that. If we feel lonely, there's a scripture for that. And we can literally quote those and say those and, and, or sing them like we do during worship. Those are all things to refocus us and get us back fixing our eyes on him instead of the flesh. Uh, we have all other, many other kinds of things that we can do to, to refocus, to keep our eyes on him. Uh, of course, prayer, we talk to him all day long. But prayer involves uh, many different aspects. You know, it's adoration. It's worship. We were praying this morning when we were worshiping. It's, uh, it's confession. You know, confess your faults one to another. That's that's worship. That's prayer. That's giving our full attention, concentration on Him. Uh, I mentioned daily devotions. You know, seeking first His kingdom. It's real important for us to prioritize our time and make sure He has a part of it. There's a good quote that I have in uh, on my wall down in my study. It says it ought to be the uh, the first part of every day to prepare for our last. And we prepare for that day seeing him face to face by getting in his word and talking to him and spending time with him. Now, maybe some of you can't do it first thing, but we all have to find that time of one-on-one time with him, just him and us. Uh, Another way of getting rid of distractions and fellowshipping with Christ is, is to serve others. When we serve other people, we, you know, Levi mentioned with the food, the, the meals for the seniors and the blankets, and we got people, Savannah and Carl, are serving us with uh, helping in the sound. And so many people here serve in ministries. I mean, that's fellowshipping with Christ. That's a good way to occupy our time and keep our eyes fixed on Him, help somebody else in need. And of course, uh, the word fellowship itself that we mentioned. We have the men's breakfast coming up Saturday. God did not intend man to live alone. He intended us to have fellowship one with another. 
To love him first, as we read, and then love our neighbor. Uh, We have to have fellowship. It's difficult to grow in Christ if you don't have close friends. He needed 12 of them. We need close friends to bounce stuff off of, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to uh, listen to us, and to exhort us, whatever, whatever the case might be. We need fellowship one with another. It's an important part of relationship. Luke 9.23. In the Amplified Version of Luke 9.23, it says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, by suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Again, we have making our bodies a living sacrifice. We've got to kill the flesh. We have got to over we got to crucify the flesh. It's powerful. And we have a choice whether to kill it or let it grow. You know, there's these two dogs in us. There's the Holy Spirit dog and then the flesh dog. And whichever one we feed the most is going to grow the fastest. So it's all about feeding, feeding God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So many other scriptures that talk about dying. Uh, we already read John 3.16, but John 12.24 is one of my favorites where Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, then much fruit will grow. So in the process of dying, we live, we grow. And that's the way it works in the plant kingdom as well with these phloem and xylem cells. In other words, as, as Jackie said so many times in, in the book of Colossians, there was one word that he said over and over almost every Sunday. It was, it's surrender. It's all about surrender and doing his will, not our own. We have uh, one of our ministries at church here is uh, Celebrate Recovery. Does anybody participate in that? It's a great ministry, by the way. Um, Celebrate Recovery is, a, is for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Anybody have any of those? Anybody not have any of those? I'd like to be your friend. Uh, but it's a great ministry. And, you know, it's, it's geared towards people that, that uh, have had problems with alcohol and drugs. But it's really for everybody. And the program that they have designed with Celebrate Recovery, there's a 12-step biblical program uh, that they teach, and it's a great program. Um, it's, a, it's all scripture, and the first two steps, or the first step of uh, the 12-step program that they go over here, that they teach, is we, had, we admitted we were, by the way, this brochure is out Take one of these. If you've never looked at the 12-step program, it's great for just basic personal 
relationship building with Christ because we're all in the same boat here. And like Jackie says, we're all broken. But this is a way to get unbroken and to get fixed. Uh, The Bible tells us how to fix ourselves. And it says, number one step, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behavior, that our lives had become unmanageable. And then Romans 7.18 is one of the scriptures that they use. It says in Romans 7.18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You recognize that? I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to. That's me all the time. That's you all the time. We don't have the power within ourselves to do it. We have to be connected to the vine. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, this is also the part of the first step. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We can't do it on our own, but we do have a role to play. All the scriptures that I read, all the things that we're supposed to be doing, bearing fruit, sending down to the parts of the plant, we can't do that even of ourselves. We can we can give it our best attempt. I can try to be more patient. I can try to love more. I can try to be kinder. And I can dress it up and make it look pretty good for a little bit. But then what happens? Falls back into the same old pattern. But the good news is God has made a way for us to grow and to bear much fruit. But the price, that's the good news. Price is we have to die. We have to die to self. We have to be willing to take the lowest place. We must decrease so he can increase. Our flesh does not like to hear that. We have to be willing to say the words that all men love to say, I'm sorry. We have to learn how to take the role of a servant and humble ourselves if in turn we want to be lifted up. That applies to every aspect of our life. And surely, most importantly, it applies right here and uh, with each other, our friends and family. I mean, this is where we can practice the safest is with those who know us and love us that we already know. We 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 share a common faith. So let's wrap this up in with a couple more scriptures. And finish this process of growing in Christ and and that personal relationship and bearing much fruit. It says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's really what, what I'm honing in on. The only way that we can do the things that he requests us to do is if we're filled with the Spirit. Oh, yeah, we got the Holy Spirit when we were saved. We got, we got the Holy Spirit, but we didn't get all of it. And we have to continually, day to day, minute to minute, call upon him for more, for a special outpouring of him. We can't, this body can't contain all of God, just FYI. There's not enough room here. Uh, We have to call upon him and ask in time of need 
for him to fill us. And there are all kinds of needs represented here this morning that you've already cried out to God and asked him to help you with. You know, we've got people with, you know, our spouses with blood pressure issues. We've got people uh, with relationship issues. We've got people with financial issues. And we are, we have people that don't even have a desire maybe to have a, a really strong relationship with Christ. And you know you don't. Call upon his name. Ask him to fill you. That's where the power comes. The power is in his name. The power, that word power, is dunamis. It's dynamite. It's miraculous working power. He has the ability to do it. We just have to make ourselves available and make the decision to say yes to him. To stand and lift up our arms and worship or to bow down. In John 7, 37 through 39, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But listen to what he says. Out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Once you experience his Holy Spirit coming out, and you sense his presence in a powerful, life-changing way, you just want more and more. And he is able to produce. It's not, it's not just a one-time filling. It can happen more and more. And my desire, my heart, is to experience that much, much more frequently. To call upon his name and feel the fullness of his presence and that power. We have to ask. It says, Scripture says, we have not because we ask not. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 it says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you need more from God today, ask Him. Ask, make your specific requests known to God, it says in Philippians. Ask Him. Per, he knows what you're thinking anyways, and so... Just make a conscious effort to ask him, what's your need here this morning? What do you need from him? He wants to bless you with the fullness of his presence. There's one way, I think, that accelerates the process. And again, it involves dying to self, crucifying the flesh, surrender. And it's found in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 3. It's a prayer for more fruit. Listen to what he says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. We then have to act. We ask first, and then we have to do our part. We have to have some action. And the action is pretty simple. We just have to obey. It says here, bend the knee, bow. Are you willing to bow? Tell you what, I don't like to bow. I got a bad knee, and I might not get back up again if I bend the knee. But he's this this word bow means bend the knee. It means for us to humble ourselves and to bow. Now what that's a posture of submission. It's a posture saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I need you, I can't do this myself. I'm gonna bend the knee. And if you are in a situation this morning where you need something special, specific from God, and or would just like me, would like to have more of his day-to-day fullness operating in my life, more of the Holy Spirit flowing out instead of my sarcasm and my impatience and those other things that come pouring out all the time. He says, ask, come to me. Bend the knee, and I promise that I will bless you because that's what I want to do. I want to bless my children. Psalm, last scripture, Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So this morning as we close, as the worship team comes back up, and we're going to have our last song, and we're going to have an opportunity to do that. We're going to have an opportunity. Now, you don't have to come forward necessarily, although you're welcome to. There will be people up front here praying, and I would encourage you to bend the knee. Practice. Maybe you don't want to practice here. I know that's sort of embarrassing to actually get down on your knees. You know, that's sort of a humbling posture and it's not familiar to us. But maybe you're desperate. Maybe you've tried other things and you don't feel the fruit coming or, or the Holy Spirit flowing. Maybe if we do what the scripture says, And bend the knee. You can do it right in your seats. You can come up front, do it at the altar. You can do it at home, anytime. Um, But just maybe God's word is true, and he will give you what you're asking for when you humble yourself, when you take the position of surrender and call upon his name.
and all who are thirsty, and all who are weak, just come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away. 